What a fun morning walking into church. You can tell the mix of, I don't know if you'd call them personalities or preferences, but the number of people walking in with their head face to the sky, their tongue out, saying, I love snow, and the other group of people saying, why do I live in Illinois? Kind of, kind of a fun mix, fun mix going on, but God's taking some white and prettying the place up, and uh, just a, a beautiful day to be together. So hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving celebration we try to be uh, flexible, having adult kids, especially adult kids with children, we try to be flexible and easy so that they're with them. Having local parents on both sides, the idea of having to split up days and everything else, it's just, it's, it's crazy. So took a little different approach this time, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we had Emmett from Monday morning to Tuesday night, so we did a sleepover at Grandma and Grandpa's, which was a blast, and I did a bunch of cooking on Tuesday. And then we went, Brian and Riley slept, slept over there Tuesday night onto Wednesday, had Thanksgiving together, and it was just a, a really, really beautiful uh, time, celebration. We have a, a Fry family tradition that when the child is finally old enough to eat meat, at that first Thanksgiving, if it ends up being their first Thanksgiving, we give them a turkey leg, and they get to just have at the turkey leg, go at it. And I've been honestly looking forward to this for about two months <clears throat> because Emmett has two habits that he'll probably have to break before he's 20. Uh, he touches everything, everything. He learns through his hands lots and lots and lots of he touches anything, and everything he touches goes in his mouth. And so I'm thinking, hand this kid a turkey leg. This is going to be a blast. You know, he's going to be going at it. So, so the moment came, he's in his high chair. I, we bring the leg over, we put it on the tray, and he looks at it like, what is that? And we finally have to take his hand, put it on the leg, get him to pick it up, and, and he's giving us this look like, do you not know I'm a vegan? I mean, he just, he wanted, he wanted nothing to do with that turkey leg. He would not, he would not hold it. He would not taste it. He would not anything with it. So, I don't know. Next year might be prime rib. We might have to, we might have to change our habit. I don't, I don't know. It was just, it was a lot of fun. So, I don't know what Thanksgiving uh, habits and practices you have, but hopefully you have some that are just a, a lot of fun traditions that you carry on, uh, not only from year to year, but literally from generation to generation. So, this morning we do, we wake up and there's this little bit of white on the ground and you may be wondering, uh, <clears throat> How does our church handle snow and snow days and all that kind of stuff? Because let's face it, we, we do live in northern Illinois and snow happens and ice happens and, and all that sort of stuff. And so we try our best to make sure that you've got a clean lot and clear sidewalks. We take special care of the, of the area over here where the handicap signs are, making sure that area is all nicely salted, not slippery, all that kind of stuff, taking care of all that. And generally, unless the state police stay, stay home, or we just determine it is absolutely unsafe, I mean, four inches of ice, we're in big trouble, something like that, 
For the most part, we are open. And, and you say, why? I grew up in Buffalo. Are you kidding me? If we, if we closed for every snow, we would close in November and wouldn't be back to church till July. So, you know, we just, we just keep going. And you, you determine, you know, what's best for your family. We do have online option that you can, you can join us that way. But, you know, take on the adventure of winter. Go for it. Drive through it. Let it fly in your face. Have some fun with it for a change. It's a good time. You'll have a, you'll have a blast. So anyway, along the way, I mean, if we did have an emergency, electro went out, something or other, you'd clearly be notified by way of constant contact and whatever to make sure email get out there to let you know what's going on. But we just like to share that up right, right up front. The other thing is, at this time of year, some of you do enjoy shoveling and snow plowing, snow blowing, and all that sort of Sort of stuff. So if that's something that you enjoy doing and you wouldn't mind showing up here at 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning in order to make sure everything is nice and clear, we'll be sending out an email tomorrow that you can respond to and become part of that team. We had a great team last year, and, and <laughs> I think they had to shovel once. You remember last year, the, the snow never, never, never happened last year. So anyway, my sidekick is homesick, probably something I cooked. Um, he's got a he's got a fever going and he's trying to get better. So, so I'm I'm doing this by myself today. Hopefully, I know what I'm doing. A um, couple things coming up this week. Of course, you know that uh, you uh, in terms of high school, high school is not meeting tonight. Junior high is meeting next week. So, uh, you have one more night off here, and then this coming Friday we have the Christmas play. So, uh, make sure you come and participate in that. Have a fun time together. Uh, everything else is there in the in the update, ready for you. Did want to remind you again that we've been trying to make a uh, you know a, a much greater effort on the sermon notes, the teaching notes that are found in YouVersion in the Bible app. You go to events, and not only are all the scriptures listed there, but the the points of the message are listed there as well. So you can go right on through those. We've been working on these three practices together as a church. One is <clears throat> reading the book of Proverbs. Every day we're reading a chapter of Proverbs. We're reading the chapter that corresponds with the day of the month. Today's the 26th, so we'll be reading chapter 26. Uh, we're doing that through the end of the year, and then actually come the beginning of January, we've got something else we're going to be doing. not going to tell you what it is yet, but I'll tell you what, I, I love it. It's going to take us through another portion of Scripture that we'll be learning and growing together. So we'll keep doing Proverbs on through uh, December 31st, we're praying three times a day, even though we're scattered. We wake up in the morning to the Lord's Prayer and break down the Lord's Prayer into sentences and then reflect prayers back to God based on that outline of prayer that Jesus gave to us. Midday, we're spending time just praying for lost people, that they'll come to God, that God will give us compassion for them, and that He might even use us to reach them. And then in the evening, we're praying a prayer of gratitude. And that gratitude prayer is not just, I'm grateful, thank you, but God, it would have been enough if you had done this, but, but here's the cherry on top. Here's the, here's the extra special blessing in all of this. So, and we're taking those prayers and bringing them to our time of communion. So today we'll be, we'll be doing the gratitude prayer uh, during our time of communion. But let's go ahead and head over to the Proverbs reading now. Give me a click there, Sherry. There you go. Proverbs 26. Honor is no more associated with fools than snow with summer or rain in the harvest. Hey, what great timing. Look at that. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting sparrow. An undeserved curse will not land on its intended victim. 
Guide a horse with a whip, a donkey with a bridle, and a fool with a rod to his back. Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, or you will become as foolish as they are. Get that verse somewhere that you see it all the time. We spend too much time arguing with fools. You're like, no, I don't. I've seen what you put on Facebook. Yes, you do. Stop it. It's worthless to argue with fools. You are wasting your breath. Wasting your breath. Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools or they will become wise in their own estimation. Isn't that funny? He goes in the other direction and says, Here, here's this. So you've got both, both pieces. You've got to have wisdom to know when to, when to do what to do. Trusting a fool to convey a message is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. Okay, let's be dramatic. Wow. A proverb in the mouth of a fool is as useless as a paralyzed leg. Honor a fool. Honoring a fool is as foolish as tying a stone to a slingshot. These are very vivid, aren't they? A proverb in the mouth of a fool is like a thorny branch brandished by a drunk. An employer who hires a fool or a bystander is like an archer who shoots at random. Oh, this is always a favorite. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats its foolishness. Mm -mm. Quite a picture again. There is more hope for fools than for people who think they are wise. I mean, this is just a verse after verse after verse on foolishness. So let's go after the lazy. The lazy person claims there's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. As a door swings back and forth on its hinges, so lazy persons turn over in their beds. Lazy people take food to their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouths. Lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. Interfering in someone else's argument is as foolish as yanking on a dog's ears. Dominique, what happens when you yank on a dog's ears? They bite. Okay, thanks. Good to know. I wouldn't even try it, so good to know. Thanks. Just as damaging uh, uh, as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then says, I was only joking. I hate that. Fire goes without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. A quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers like charcoal or fire lights wood. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one heart, one's heart. Smooth words may hide a wicked heart just as a petty glaze covers a clay pot. People who may cover their hatred with pleasant words, people may cover their hatred with pleasant words, but they're deceiving you. They pretend to be kind, but don't believe them. Their hearts are full of many evils. While their hatred may be concealed by trickery, their wrongdoing will be exposed in public. If you set a trap for others, you'll get caught in it yourself. If you roll a boulder down on others, it will crush you instead. A lying tongue hates its victims, and flattering words cause ruin. These words, God, are true. They are true, and I pray that we will learn to live by them. I thank you for the wisdom that Solomon and others have shared with us so that we can see the patterns in life and the way life works. And I realize there are times that literally two verses in a row say, don't argue with a fool, and you better expose a fool for what he is. And God, you need to give us the wisdom to know when to do each and so we, we call on you today. The book of James tells us to call on you for wisdom. We need to be wise. We need to be wise. We need to know. We know the right thing and the wrong thing, but we need to know when 
when we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. And so help us to walk in wisdom and grow in wisdom. And again, I thank you for, the, for what you're doing to our hearts as we take in these words all the time. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we've been talking about discerning the will of God together. And you can either watch those or listen to those uh, past messages, past teachings that we've had. I'm not going to go through every detail of them today. But last week we started talking about when you're involved in decision-making, especially major decisions in your life, how do you know what God wants you to do? And, and let's face it, we're, sometimes we're offered uh, incredible opportunities, and we wonder, is this, is this what God wants me to pursue? Should I? Should I not? And we went back and looked at, looked at some teaching that's actually presented in a book by a man named Gary Friesen, Decision-Making in the Will of God. This book has been around since, since 1980, and he does a, a great job picking apart some of, the, some of the reasoning that Christians used for years and says, why don't we go back and look at what the Bible says? And he uses Genesis 2, 15 to 17, as, as, the, basis, as the basis for what he has to say. And in it, he says, look at the passage, what's going on here. First of all, God placed Adam in the garden. He had a purpose for his life. And God has a purpose for each of our lives. He says to Adam, you can eat of any tree in the garden. If you want a plum, have a plum. If you want to have a pear, have a pear. You go crazy. You don't have to ask me every time. You have the freedom to go ahead and eat whatever's in the garden. Except you're not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. And so what we find here is in moral matters, we're supposed to obey the commands of God, period. God will never call on you to disobey him. He'll never put you in a spot that you're supposed to actually disobey something God has written. It's not the way he, wor he works. So if you're trying to make a decision, the first place to start is the Bible and ask, does God have anything to say about this? Has he written any laws or commands? Are there any patterns that help me to understand what I should and shouldn't do morally? And then beyond that, we're given freedom to make choices in non-moral matters because God has wired us with wisdom. We are creatures made in the image of God, and as creatures made in the image of God, we have wisdom just like he has wisdom, and he wants us to use that gift in the process of decision-making. So moral decisions are about right and wrong. Wisdom decisions are about good, better, best. And we're looking and asking, okay, this may be a good decision, but is it the best decision? And, and we're working through that. And we always start with moral issues. We always start with the right and wrong. And then beyond that, if we're clear morally, then we move to the wisdom issues. We move to good, better, and best. <clears throat> so last week we started talking, or we talked about the whole idea of peace and the fleece. Where do peace and fleece come in when we're making decisions? People say, I just have peace about this. Well, you might. God might be giving you peace. Or you might have a seared conscience. You need to know the difference between the two. And again, it really comes back to what does the moral law of God have to say? If you have peace, but the moral law of God says no, that's not peace. That's a seared conscience. And so there, we, we're looking at peace. And then also the idea of the fleece. Lord, give me a sign. 
And, and the part, hard part about a sign is, even when we ask very directly, God, show me, if he were to do it, we'll still kind of go, oh, that might have been a coincidence, you know? Do best three out of five, best four out of seven. And that's exactly what Gideon did. God directly gives him a sign, and he says, I'm not sure if that was you or coincidence. Would you do it again in a little different way? Ultimately, we have something Gideon did not have. We have 66 books that had composed the Word of God. And we can go back to the Word of God and find out what is right and what is wrong. And then beyond that, we are praying and living in connection with the Holy Spirit and believing that as we walk together, we are listening to God and He is revealing His will to us. What we didn't get a ta- chance to talk about last week is open and closed doors. Uh, we, our time got cut short, or I talked too long, whichever way you want to look at it. And so, open and closed doors. People refer to this idea that God seems to have opened a door for me, or that door seems to be closed. What am I supposed to do about that? And, and the whole idea of open and closed doors is a very biblical concept. Paul refers to them. In 1 Corinthians 16, he talks about all the places he wanted to travel. He, wanted, he, wanted, he says, I'm coming to visit you after I've been in Macedonia, for I'm planning to travel uh, through, through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while, all winter. And, and at the end, he says, there's a, a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. So he says, hey, I've got an open door. I'm going to pursue the open door. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, when I came to the city of Troas to preach the good news of Christ, the Lord opened a door of opportunity for me. This is wording that Paul uses. There's an open door before me. He also is clear that there are times that the door was closed. Paul and Silas traveled through this area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the border of Mycenae, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there, so instead they went to Mycenae, uh, they went through Mycenae to the port of Troas. And while he's going through this and these doors are being closed, he has a dream at night and there's a vision of a man calling him to come to Macedonia and he realized that's the open door God has for me. So there are times that there will be an an opportunity for us and the door seems wide open. There are those that say, it's not a Bible verse, okay? A saying, go until you get a no. Just go until you get a no. Keep walking until you get a no. If a no comes, that's a closed door. Go in a little direction, a different direction. It's a great saying. It's also a little bit simplistic, right? I mean, because we will go sometimes. We're not getting a no. But we have to wonder, is this really what God was calling me to do or not? And it's going to require tremendous wisdom. Reading open and closed doors is not as easy as it seems. For Paul, it was clear the Spirit of Jesus was saying, don't go here. If I go back to October, uh, no, I'm sorry, November 1st of 1984, after the disastrous date, uh, I would have considered that a very closed door, right? And as I continue to have conversations all the way through the end of December, including the conversation I had with Kim on the phone on December 29th, where she made abundantly clear she had no desire to ever be with me, ever in her life. I should have considered that a closed door. But I just kind of kept rattling the handle, you know what I mean? Just kind of kept... Because here's the thing about closed doors, which, by the way, we did get married. But anyway, just in case you didn't know the rest of the story. Um, <clears throat> you got to know what God might be teaching you. Is God trying to teach you persistence? 
Is God trying to teach you, try again? Is God trying to say, not now, but later? It's not as easy as it seems. And I think too often we make open and closed doors about, about opportunities rather than looking at this is all about relationship. Decisions and what we're supposed to do are all about relationships. So if we pursue decision-making relationally, it's not about what I should do, but it's about what God is teaching me. It's not so much, God, should I do this or should I do that? But what's the lesson of the moment? What are you trying to teach me? It's not about my next move, but my next step of transformation. God, is there, is there something you're trying to grow in me? It's not about going, but about growth. And so if we'll, if we'll shift our eyes a little bit away from, should I do this or shouldn't I do this, to God, what is the transformational work that you want to do in me? And realize that these open and closed doors are opportunities not to do something, but they're opportunities for God to do something in me. All of a sudden, things change a little bit. And now it starts to be a little clearer why God is okay with whether you eat a plum or a pear or whatever it might be, because it's not as much about the decision as it, as it is about growing in Him and growing with Him. So take all these things, moral, moral guidance and wisdom and peace and fleece and open door and closed door. Take all those things and put them together. And sometimes we can land in a place that we're a little confused. We're a little confused, right? Which is why we need the collective wisdom of spiritual community. This is why we need some people in our lives who help us to discern God's will together. This is why we need the other folks in the room. This is why we need friends who are believers. Because as we're going about this process of growing in Jesus, Jesus makes real clear, the Bible makes real clear, that he's given us this family for the sake of growing together. But I don't know why it is. Christians have a tendency to make decisions in isolation. We have a tendency to do these things by ourselves. We have a tendency not to call on spiritual community. We have a tendency, more often than not, to make pronouncements of our decisions rather than walking together in the decision-making process. And i got to tell you, it makes me a little crazy sometimes. It really does. Because we talk about the importance of spiritual community doing life together. What's more doing life together than I'm about to make a major decision in my life and I should probably talk to somebody about it? But for some reason, we will hold back. Maybe we don't feel like we want to bother other people. Maybe we already know what we want to do and we know other people will say, that's a stupid idea. Whatever it is, we hold back and then one day we just bombshell. Here's what I'm doing. And everybody goes, where did that come from? And what it does is it starts to break down the trust of people with each other. Because I thought we were sharing a relationship. And you didn't, you mentioned a word of this. What is all of this? Decisions made in isolation often prove disastrous. Isolation from biblical instruction. I'm just going to ignore what the Bible has to say. Isolation from the Spirit's leading. 
We've hardened our hearts so much that the Spirit is not even getting through anymore. And isolation from spiritual community. We need some people. Spiritual community. We, we've talked about these ideals so many times. This Acts 2, 42 to 47. These people didn't just attend a church together on Sunday morning and walk away. They were the church. They were the church, and they were, and they were in this process of being entwined in each other's lives. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. This verse is really familiar to a lot of people because pastors love it. It's the verse that says, don't you dare skip church. And let us not uh, neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now as the day of his return is drawing near. And, And we look at this and we're like, okay, you better be there at 9 or 10 on Sunday morning. There's a whole lot more going on in this passage than simply saying, show up to a service and walk away. Just, just the words before it, let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, but for God can be trusted and keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. It doesn't say, pastors, this is what you should preach when they all meet together. We're living together in such a way, doing life together in such a way that we're actually thinking of ways to motivate each other toward love and toward good deeds. We're helping each other to walk and grow in our relationship with Christ. We need the collective wisdom of spiritual community. We truly need it. And so I want to share with you in this part is, is I think, four key relationships that we need when we're making a decision. These are four relationships that we need in our lives, people that we could identify and say, I need these people as I'm going through the process of making a decision. Now, I, this is one of those days that, that Dennis is going to be a pastor, and pastors are cursed with the gift or curse of alliteration. And alliteration works sometimes, and sometimes you're trying to smash something in because it's got to start with a P. And so a couple of these feel a little smashed, but I hope you'll get it. We need a partner or a peer. Someone, same life stage, going through the same junk I am. I am... 29 years old, I have two kids, I never get sleep. Oh, you do too. Peers, okay? We need a peer. We need a parent. I am not talking about a physical parent. I'm talking about somebody about 20 years older than you. All right? About the age, about the age spread of you and your parent. Someone 20 years, 25 years older than you. Someone who has walked the path you've walked. For good or bad, they've been there, they've done that. Have a drawer of t-shirts. You need a positive. You need a positive. You need someone who looks at you and says, you are here. I love you. You have all the potential in the world. This, is, this might be your grandma. Your grandma still thinks you could be president. There is time, right? <laughs> you, ne- you need a positive. You need someone who dreams with you and for you. And to balance the positive, you need a prophet. Not someone who... Soothsayers, no, this is what you should do. Prophets were truth tellers. Prophets said, Thus saith the Lord. Okay? So I need someone who is with me. Same life stage. We're going through the same junk. I need someone with wisdom. Someone older and wiser telling me what to do. Wisdom. I need. Someone who sees my potential and gives me praise every once in a while. But I also need the truth teller. Because, you know, 
if I spend a little bit too much time with the potential and praise, I might not get the whole story. All four of these. Hopefully you can identify somebody in each of these categories in your life that you would go to and talk to and say, I'm in the middle of a decision, help me, help me. And what I would do with this, I just want to throw this out here right now, you need to look at this and ask, when I'm making a decision, who do I tend to include and who do I tend to avoid? Who, who usually knows what I'm doing and who do I usually withhold from? And you're like, well, there's some decisions, I easily go to all these, but there are some decisions where I, you know, I don't want any profits around right now. I don't, I don't need any of that. Who's the person you tend to push away in the decision-making process? I think, I think who you go to and who you push away says an awful lot about the quality of the decision. If it's a good decision or a bad decision, good, better, best. Because a lot of times there are people we will keep out of the discussion because we already know what we want to do. So we need someone who's with us, someone with wisdom, someone who sees our potential and praises, and someone who is a truth teller. For some of you, it is possible that your parents were only truth tellers and there was never any potential or praise. And you need some of that. You need someone who says, you can do this because you haven't heard that all your life. So look at the Bible. Here are the people. The pure partner was Silas, Paul and Silas. And I love their story. I'm, I'm going to jump up and back, okay? Paul and Silas is found in Acts 16, 22 to 31. Paul and Silas have been on a missionary journey together. Spiritually, they're, you know, they're, they're tracking together. They're growing together. And they go to a town, and in that town, uh, they work a miracle. And the miracle turns out to, to cause some people to lose their income. And the town gets furious, and they have Paul and Silas uh, put in jail, and we have that beautiful verse that says, there they were at midnight singing to God and praying. And as they did, the jail doors were opened wide, and they were able to head on out. Philippian jailer sees it. He's about to kill himself. Don't kill himself yourself. We're all still here. And, there, and he's amazed, and what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be saved in your household. And the jailer takes them home, washes up their wounds. The family is baptized. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Your peer, a lot of times, is the person who's in prison with you. You know what I mean? They're the person who's going through the same junk you are. Whether it's you're, you're new in your career and you're figuring out how to find a job, you've got a two-year-old and you're going, where'd this come from? You, you've got a teenager and you're going, where'd this come from? Uh, you know, whatever it is, your peer is the person that's kind of, they're walking the same path you are. You need that person as you're making decisions. Why? Because they're probably making some of the exact same decisions they're thinking through the exact same stuff. Paul and Silas are figuring out prison together. Hey, why don't we sing and pray? Okay, let's do that. Let's do that. So balancing the peer is the parent. I was going to say patriarch, but patriarch implies male, and it's not that. It's, it's a person that is at least 20 years older than you who is walking in wisdom. And two people I see in the Bible for that are Jethro and Mordecai. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law, so clearly he's, you know, parent age ahead. 
he's been there. Mordecai is Esther's uncle in the book of Esther. And we know that from Exodus chapter 18 that Jethro comes for a visit and he sees the way Moses is doing his job. And basically, Moses, everything, everything was tracking through Moses. And the passage, Jethro literally says, this is not good. This isn't good for you. This isn't good for the people. There's got to be another way to do this. Now, Jethro had never led a nation, all right? Moses has got a little different position than, than, uh, than Jethro ever had. But he knew what it was to lead a business. He knew what it was to delegate. He knew how things work. And he comes alongside and says, why don't you try this? Why don't you try this approach? And we need that person in our life who's a little further down the road and they're able to say, yeah, I did that. And here's what worked and here's what didn't. You know, with our kids, I, people will ask from time to time about schooling. We had different pieces of the schooling adventure with each of our kids. There was, some, there was some charter school involved in there. There was some public school. There was some home school. How do you handle it? Well, 20 years later, I can see the product. This isn't someone that I'm in prison with. This is someone who's, who's been there, who's seen it, who's able to say, these are, the, these are the pros and these are the cons. Because if we're making a, a wisdom decision, it's about pros and cons. It's about what might work and might not, might not work. Uh, Esther chapter 4, of course, tells us the story of, of, what happened, of what happened with Esther as she's trying to figure out what to do with, with the Jews about to be killed, annihilated once again. Some things never change. And Mordecai says, I think you're here for now. Who knows that you weren't here for such a time as this? So those two relationships balance each other out. The positive, the positive, of course, is, is, is our friend Barnabas. His name literally means son of encouragement. And there's nobody that Barnabas sees that he doesn't say, this guy could do it. He's the one in Acts chapter 9 who brings Paul to the community and says, hey, I know he was killing Christians a couple of minutes ago, but I think something's happened here. I think something's changed. And nobody else was seeing change. They were seeing villain. And he saw the potential of change. So the positive, we need a positive, but boy, it's, it's got to be balanced by Nathan or Paul. It's got to be balanced by the truth teller. 2 Samuel chapter 12, when Nathan comes and tells the story of the lamb and David becomes furious and he says, you are the one who stole the lamb. You committed sin with Bathsheba. Now, it's not always the, the truth telling of exposing sin, but it's helping a person to do the hard right thing. For Paul, it was the book of Philemon, one chapter book, where Philemon has a slave who's escaped, and now the slave is coming back home as a fellow believer. And Paul has to say, this is how you're going to treat this guy now. This is what your relationship should look like right now. We need all four of these relationships. We need the person who's with us and the person with wisdom. We need the potential and praise, and we need the truth teller. We need the partner and peer, the parent, the positive, as well as the prophet. And so my encouragement to you would be to start thinking about who are those people in your life? You know, Don Yost is going to have a lot of work. He's a positive. Everybody's going to want Don, right? Um, so who are those people that you can look to and say, here's a person who I know will tell me the truth. And my goodness, if you're going to make a major decision, would you spend a little time with the truth teller? Spend a little time with someone who will say, it sounds great, but. You don't want to hear the but. You need to hear the but. 
Because that's the thing that's going to blow up, and you're going to say, I wish somebody had told me. No, you didn't wish. You didn't ask. All four are very important. Let me, let me just, two other things about your spouse. If you're making decisions without your spouse, uh, I, think, I think Solomon refers to that as a fool. Stop making major decisions without your spouse. Don't you dare come home and say, we're moving tomorrow. What? Are you partners or not? Are you partners or not? So this, this is your peer at that point, but my goodness, how many people get in major trouble because they make major decisions, they bring home the truck and say, honey, look what I got. Oh, really? Huh? What are you doing? Why do you want to nuke your marriage? What is in you that wants to destroy your marriage? I'm serious. Include your spouse. But my spouse always says no. Well, you married him. <laughs> Figure it out. Come on. It's a partnership. You're working together and growing together. It's not his, hers. That is so a violation of the vows you made. It wasn't we will live together in the same house separate. You get the point. This is, this is the parent talking right now. And then on counselors, it is possible that you'll need a counselor in the process of making a decision. I think counseling can be great. I really do. There's some things you need to know about counselors. Counselors are not professionally trained to give you advice. You go to a counselor because you think they're going to give you the answer. That's not their job. That's not their job. And so you get frustrated after three sessions because like, all he says is, how did that make you feel? And you're like, I'm sick of talking about my feelings. Give me an assignment. Give me an answer. That's not their job. Some counselors will, but that's not their job. And here's the other thing about a counselor. A counselor can't even begin to give you good advice if you have a box full of puzzle pieces and you keep a bunch of them to yourself, major pieces, and you only give them the pieces you want. And this is one of the biggest problems with going to a counselor, right? We're going to somebody with whom we have anonymity, and sometimes we need that, but we only show them the part of the story that makes us look good. And we keep pieces back here. If you're going to want help from a counselor, you better bring the whole box and put all the pieces on the table, not just the parts that make you look pretty. So both of those include your spouse in the decision-making process. And if you're going to go to a counselor, know what a counselor will do and won't do. And then beyond that, make sure that you share all of it and not just the pieces that get you what you want. God, I pray that you will help us as we have friends come to us and ask us for wisdom and input. As we go to others and ask for guidance and advice. Reveal to us those people in our lives, those peers, those parents, the positives, the prophets, who will help us to make great wisdom decisions and help us to always know that it's less about the decision than it is about growing in our relationship with you. That's really what it's all about. In Jesus' name, amen. So, for communion, we're going to spend time this morning with our gratitude prayer. Love the gratitude prayer. And what I'm doing with these, the first several times that we do them, is just giving you each stage that if you were to use uh, the app for this, this is what they read through to you. 
Uh, but I want to share it so that you have the, all the pieces. You don't have to do it this way all the time. Uh, I'm sure over time you've already started to modify some of the ways that you do these prayers. And this is our evening prayer. This is a beautiful picture that Cindy Gorin took in the woods in, in Wisconsin as the sun was setting. Evening prayer of gratitude. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. All those statements are in the imperative. All those statements are commands. They're commands. They're not, these are not Paul's polite suggestions. Commands. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. So you begin with a review of your day. And I want you to expand it for a little bit. We're coming off Thanksgiving. Think about 2023. Think about life since last Thanksgiving. Review the events of your year. Think through it, the people, the tasks, the messages, the meals, the demands and surprises. Relive your moments prayerfully before God as if you are sitting with him and he's res and responding to the question, so what did you do today? You might modify it this morning too. So what was exciting about your past year? What was the piece about your past year that was really exciting? So just pause and think about that for a moment. And then we pray gratitude. And I love this. I've said it several times already. Part of what I love is that we're not just saying, I'm grateful for and giving a list. But we're going after this Hebrew word, dayenu, which is a Hebrew cry of gratitude, meaning it would have been enough. Recall and thank God for the big and small ways that today you were the recipient of more than enough. You were the recipient of abundance. You were the recipient of dayenu. So for me as an example, it's one thing for, for Emmett to emerge into our world last December 18th, but I don't only have this kid who's a part of my family tree, I have the privilege right now of living 20 minutes away from him, and I get to be with him four days a week, all mine at my house with me. It would have been enough that that baby exists in my life. But God, you put this cherry on the top and gave me the privilege of being around him. So think about that thing of this past week. What's the cherry on the top? What's the day, day in you that you would bring to God? When we end the day with gratitude, we remember the fingerprints of God across the events and hours of his day and his presence in our lives. When you live a pattern of gratitude, you start to see your life change. So keep leaning into this pattern of gratitude. And so we'll be going now to communion. We have tables on either side at front and the back. We have gluten-free on either side of the platform as well as the back. 
And as we do, we'll take those, we'll take those prayers of gratitude with us to the table, just continuing in that spirit. I would have to add this morning that um, it would have been enough to worship today, right? It would have been enough to come and sing together. But, but we got this new guy, Justin, who's a part of this, and that's fantastic, and we're loving it. We're loving it. And the prodigal has come home. Yay! Ryan, is, he's not prodigal. He just, how in the world can you not just go to JUCO and be happy here at JJC, dude? Great courses there. We miss you. So it's great to be able to worship with you today. They'll be leading us in singing. Go ahead and get communion, and then we'll ultimately stand together and worship. Die in you. It would have been enough to have a whole week, a whole week of expressing gratitude to God, but to have 15 minutes of putting an exclamation point on the week, that is the best. And we thank God. We thank God that He saved us so that we know that He is and who He is, to be able to come into relationship with Him so that we can just continually lift up praise to Him, glorify Him, point to Him. What, a, what an incredible privilege to be a child of the living God. We're going to be breaking into our time of uh, having some fun with the members of the family. You're not getting out of here for about seven minutes, okay? You're going to just hang out, talk, have fun, talk about what you ate for Thanksgiving, talk about what you're grateful for, whatever it is, but do some connecting. Up here at the table on the side, uh, Terry Lennon will be up here during the first service, and I'll tell you what, here's a day and a moment in itself. Terry's done a lot of listening through the years, and as a man who, who fits very well into what we were talking about today, if you have something you need to pray about, come on up and spend some time with them. We'll see you later.